Welcome to the Creative Plane Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. So I am Madame Askew. Thank you all for coming today to talk about tea, my favorite thing in the universe. Um, it's made out of water, so water's like half tea. <laughs> so it kind of counts. I can like it rather a lot this weekend. Mm. And please forgive me. This is my first water of the day, so I'm rather parched. So, how many of you drink tea? This is good. This is very good. It's that panel. Yes, it's that panel. Okay. It's the actual factual history of tea. I know, but they're beautiful. I'm glad you brought them anyway, because they're lovely. The next panel is that panel. Okay. Right. So I'm better. This is Mistress Margie. No last name. She's here from the DC office. Slightly on loan to another individual? Are you just making reports to him or? I'm Why do you even ask? I don't know. I'm curious. I always want to know. She is curious. And she never tells me. But so far the teaspoons remain sheathed, so all is well. Because you don't want her to unsheathe the teaspoons. I'm just going to. Unless there's tea. Well, right. That's fine. Would you like one of these? Look, a little fairy brought us water. I love that little Actually, fairy. she was like the Black Widow, so not very fairy-like, but really good at assassinating people. Why are you drinking the water, then? <laughs> That's just such a good question. Well, if I die, I die hydrated. <laughs> So, all right, so tea. Um, let me just take a seat. There's so much history that sometimes I'm like, where do we start? Do we start in the future or the past? Do we start in China? Do we start with some Latin verbiage? No, we never start with the Latin verbiage, please. <laughs> Who here speaks Latin? Hey, we got two hands. But for the rest of us, I too speak more modern languages like Ottoman and Old Irish, um, and uh, Turkish, which is definitely Cognito more... Cognito some Qua? <laughs> <laughs> and French. That's related, but no Latin. So we're not going to start with Latin. But um, we are going to start with, what is tea? That's a good place. Does anyone know what tea is? But, I mean... Hopefully they know it's a drink. But, well, because people drink tea. Do they know what tea is? Everyone in this okay, room. Okay, the gentleman in the blue shirt. What is tea? Hot leaf water. Hot leaf juice. <laughs> but hot Good leaf water answer. from what leaf? From, it's actually related to the camellia. Wait, but, but, but I mean, but I mean, he's laughing and giggling, and there's a little bit of redness. So I was going to let him. Right, but that, that's very true in, in in the broad sense. But there's a gentleman over here that had his hand. Oh right? yes, what, yes. So, Tea is hot leaf juice from... Boom! Madam, sir, see me afterwards. I better have some tea for you. So, ah, kind of on a... This is early in the conversation usually. So if you're drinking mint tea, is it tea? Yeah. Tea sane! Good! Oh my goodness. They're so educated. I mean, literally... What are we going to talk about? 
Well, I have real fine okay. things. But no, literally, I asked them why you were like scampering and dealing with the hair rejection. Um, I asked them who here likes tea. Everyone raised their hand. Everyone. I know. Right. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> So we do, we love tea. We drink a lot of it. In fact, I'm on a blood replacement program where I've replaced all of the blood in my body with Darjeeling. And um, it actually works really tremendously because I no longer age. Of course, if I stop drinking tea, it's very bad. That's what that is. Very bad. So I keep drinking the tea. But... Um, so I too love tea, Marjorie. You are a great fan of the tea. I do like tea. Cha. Cha. So tea comes originally from Asia and mostly from Southeast Asia. And some people will say, oh, it's from China. All the tea originates in China. And that's a good, you know, like rule of thumb. But actually it's all of Southeast Asia along that strip that the tea plant grows wild. And people were just like running around one day and they were like, hey, look at those sassy leaves growing on that tree-like bush. I wonder what we can do with those. Let's chew them and find out. And that was terrible. Yes, but there are still cultures that chew the tea leaves. There are cultures that also chew cocoa leaves and that is also terrible. It tastes horrid. I mean, I've never chewed cocoa leaves, but I have chewed tea leaves. I, well, I had to find out what the, the whole fad was for chewing tea leaves. I'm like, is it gritty? Is it like a more direct caffeine-like injection, which I need? Um, it was like dry, really. Well, then... the, the fresh ones are, are, are pretty astringent. Oh, that was my problem. I was just chewing dried oolong. So... <laughs> But, I mean, I thought, oh, it's, it's oolong. I bet it's good if you chew it. No, you should definitely boil that tea. But, yeah, they started by chewing the leaves, like, prehistorically. So tea has been around for a while in the historical record. But I love the mythology behind how tea was discovered as a beverage. Do you know that? Oh, all right. Um, so there was this delightful emperor in China because all of the Chinese emperors were definitely delightful as far as I know. I mean, they had great fashion sense though. Right. And they built very large things. So there's a wall. There is a wall. Uh, there's a forbidden palace, which is like, kind of has a lot of verve. They might have had some personality quirks that were less friendly at times, but some of them were really charming. And one of these very charming emperors, who na whose name currently eludes me, was sitting, hanging out with a ball of hot water, as you do apparently, writing poetry as you do when you're an emperor in China and you're like chillaxing in, the, in forbidden palace gardens. And he's like, oh, I just have this malaise and I don't feel very well and I'm just going to write sad poetry about the lack of health and some magic leaves flew into his bowl of hot water that he just randomly had there at the right temperature, and they, like, steeped. And he's like, I'm going to drink this random bowl of hot water with crazy leaves in it and see what happens, because I'm sad and writing poetry, and that's what you do. And he drank this hot water, hot leaf juice, boom, he did it. And he drank it, and he was like, oh, I feel better. I feel, I feel much happier with life. I will write happier poetry. I will talk about this drink and I will call it cha. And so the myth goes, tea was discovered by this emperor. And cha, or chai, is the original root in uh, several dialects of Chinese, um, Mandarin and Malay. And it turns out that the Dutch borrowed the word from Malay at, when they were like trading for tea with the East India Dutch Empire Imperial Stealing Countries Trading Company. And I think that was the title. East India 
Oh, East India Company. It was shorter. Yes. Anyway, so they <coughs> traded for tea with the Chinese in Malay, and they brought the word with them from that part of the world into northern Europe. But the word also travelled from Southeast Asia across the continent into India, where it became chai. You may have heard of that. It's got milk in it and spices, and it's delightful. And then um, it moved its way up into, like, Persia, and then eventually made its way to the Ottoman Empire, where it's also called chai, but spelled differently because they don't write in Chinese in the Ottoman Empire. No. They don't. Silly Ottomans. I, I know. They should have just written in Chinese. That was made things so much Because, easier. you know, vowel harmony... And that intonation pattern, what could be easier? <laughs> so, so the word like made these two pathways across the globe from China and eventually ended up in England as Tay. That was the original pronunciation, Tay. And then it sort of, they got more excited about it. And they were like, I don't know, Tay is nice. Doesn't tea sound more, I mean elegante and delightful. I'd rather have tea than tay. Who wants to drink tay at three o'clock in the morning? Oh, I don't want to drink tay at three o'clock in the morning. It sounds like I've three contracted something. Three o'clock in the afternoon when it's tay time, actually. <laughs> tay time! <laughs> We're drinking afternoon tea and not 3 a.m. tea. Oh, right, yes. All right. So, so, but the thing is, the English were like, oh, well, we like this tea business from the Dutch East India um, company. company. But there was also some empire stealing. Well, yes, all right, that's later. empire doing, but through I, the East yes. India company yes. business venture. Yes, right. Imperialism. With flags. Almost two different things. <laughs> right, almost, but not quite. So, so the Dutch bring the tea, and also Catherine of Braganza comes in, and she's all like, oh... I'm marrying this Charles bloke, but I'm from Braganza, and you English just don't have this beverage that I love. It's so delightful. It's made with tea leaves, these plant leaves, and we get it from China, and then we boil it in water, and we sip it. And the English were like, who are you? Why are you marrying Prince Charles? Oh, wait. You come from a kingdom and you have like a large dowry. All right, bring your tea juice. And so she brought it at the same time as the Dutch were starting to import it. And so it like started to get popular. And the thing about tea at that time, they didn't understand some things we know about brewing tea today. Mistress Margie, they used to boil it in large vats. Large metal vats, and they'd boil it all day in these tea houses, and they'd sell it by the cup of boiled sludge, and you'd drink it and you'd like it. (laughs) Apparently. It's kind of like the difference between French press and Starbucks. Yeah. No, don't drink the tea there. So, um, the thing is, the tax collectors got involved, as they do, and they were like, you're making a killing off of this boiled sludge you're selling. People really seem to like it. And they're perky, so they're working harder. And we like that, but we'd like some of the action. So we're going to tax you on the liquid quantity that you sell. So you know what the businessman decided? It's like, oh, no, bag that. <laughs> bag that. <laughs> All right. They're like, wait, in China, where we took the tea legally after paying for it and not planting flags, we, <laughs> we see that they like trade tea in bricks and in leaves and in bags, and they like don't just boil it all day and sell it by the cup and then tax that. So if they're going to tax our liquid amount of tea, we'll stop selling the liquid amount of tea We'll sell bags of dry leaves. 
And so, yes. That also meant that they sought boiling tea in huge, wretched vats in these tea houses. I mean, they were actually tea houses at the time. I mean, maybe that was the thing. When they got away from the like sludge in the tubs, they were like, maybe we should rebrand this. So we don't get taxed. <laughs> oh, no, we're not selling tea. We're selling tea. Mm. Totally different. It's not even a beverage. No, it's leaves. You chew them. Really? <laughs> so, so, but tea started to take off. Catherine of Braganza brought it to England. And then some of the other ladies of leisure and aristoc- words. Aristocracy. Aristocracy, thank you. I was about to really mangle that poor word. Mm. We don't even know where that was going. Mm. But there were some bonies out That's right. Everything goes to the Ottoman Empire eventually. Because I like their trousers. They have nice trousers. They do. And I like the hats. The hats are fabulous in the Ottoman Empire. I was very sad about the hat reform. It's too bad. But the fezzes are nice, so... It's all right. But anyway, so it started taking off. And all of these people were deeply concerned about the tea drinking and how it was going to ruin the youth and corrupt ladies everywhere with the evil tendencies of tea. Did you know that tea had evil tendencies? Right. It could make you... Vigorous. Vigorous. And, oh. and unpredictable. But sometimes it could make you lounge about all day, doing nothing but swooning and drinking tea. Apparently. How, did these people drink tea that just had... No, the people who were afraid of tea did not actually drink tea. They just made these cheeky little well, pamphlets. Because when you drink enough tea, you're not going to be lounging. No! <laughs> no! Two things are going to happen. You're going to get, like... Uh, and then you have to recycle that tea. Right, that's how it works. So you're not lounging. It's that whole like conservation of mass or something like it. I don't know. There's science involved. So, <laughs> but but so there were all these pamphlets about how you should drink gin. It was much more healthful for you, and and avoid the tea. Oh, and and also for for the added health benefits, you should spike your gin with laudanum. Yes, that was oh. much healthier than tea. And so there was like a crusade to stop tea drinking and encourage gin drinking. That's true! I didn't even make it up. Now you can like find the flyers telling people, drink gin, it's good for you. Avoid that evil tea. It will make you lazy and you'll lounge about drinking tea all day. But the thing was that these fancy, you know, aristocratic ladies who followed after Catherine of Braganza were like having tea in their dressing rooms. Yes. And so, oh, I know. And also, who knows what those ladies are doing in their dressing rooms, Uh, drinking tea? You know, usually they're getting dressed, but, you know, it's a mystery sometimes. Sometimes, though, they would invite other lady friends to come and get dressed and drink tea with them in their dressing rooms. And so there became this habit of meeting with each other in the private dressing room boudoir in more casual dress and drinking tea, which simply scandalized these people who were sure that gin was much more helpful than tea. I just feel like I have to emphasize that because... Gin, last I checked. Careful. Yes, you know, maybe not considered a healthful drink. <laughs> Probably not in the quantities. They drank a lot of gin back in the day because the water was like... The water was terrible for you, which is actually another reason why tea became so popular, because you boiled the water to make the tea, which killed all the things that killed you. Right, and suddenly you could drink water without gin. Cheeky devils. They were like, oh, we don't want any of your gin. You take that with your laudanum. We don't want those health concoctions. We're going to eat vegetables and drink tea. Yes, and we're going to eat our vegetables not boiled because we're wild, cheeky devils. 
We are wild cheeky devils. Well, that's true. Sometimes I really do like my vegetables raw. I know, I like a nice crisp arugula. <laughs> anyway, we're troublemakers. So they're like, they skewed the, tea, the gin and they started drinking tea in their boudoirs with other ladies. But then occasionally they'd invite, you know, gentlemen friends into their boudoir. And then they just like, Ooh. were having these tea parties in like casual dress, lounging about on chairs, drinking tea. And it was seen as seditious and possibly dangerous to the crown. Meanwhile, in other parts of the world, they were watching England and wondering, why are they so worried about tea? It would be like reality television if it existed. That's right. Instead, it was reality pamphlets created by strange men with printing presses in, in England who would just make these drawings and, you know, put these little, you know, pithy phrases and pass them out about the dangers of tea. And then in France, they were like, dangers of tea? Really? I mean, have they tried cocoa? <laughs> now that's dangerous. And then in China, they were like, if it's so dangerous, why do you keep taking all of our tea? Like, we've been drinking it for several thousand years, and we're fine. In fact, we're healthier, our teeth are better, and our emperor is very charming. Today. T today? Yes. That day. Not maybe the next day. It was unpredictable with the emperor. Depended on the concubine, I think. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> anyway, so, so the rest of the world was drinking tea by whatever name they called it. But if you were an English imperialist, you refused to acknowledge that there were other words for things beyond your own. And so when you went abroad and someone was like, would you like some chai? You were like, I don't know what that is. I'd like tea. Boil it until it's dead. <laughs> and then give me gin as a chaser so I can healthy up. <laughs> so, but it got really popular. It got so popular that there was like a run on tea in England and they were having trouble affording the tea. They were selling their sterling silver teapots to pay for their tea habit. And then they ran out of silver. And what are you going to do? I mean, really, the English were beside themselves. Catherine of Braganza and these ladies in the boudoir had unleashed this unhealthy tea addiction on the entire country. And they needed a cup of tea. They could no longer call themselves English men and women without their tea. So they did the only thing you can do. They went to the Dutch East Empire <coughs> India Stealing. India Company. All oh, right. Three words. Three, I'm, all right. Dutch East, Dutch East India, India Company. Compa company. Company. Not, not Empire not Stealing. Empire stealing. Right. Com no, company. <laughs> Just empire Stealing is in the subtext. Oh, it's the subtext. So anyway, they went to the Dutch East India Company <coughs> and they made a deal with them and they said, Dutch East India Company, as you do, in your most casual tone when you're an empire trying to strike a deal with Dutch traders. So we like this beverage. It's called, well, we call it tea. We don't know what you call it, but it should always be called tea because we speak only English all the time here in England and we can't acknowledge that other words might have preceded the one we choose. And so we'd like you to acquire for us more tea and so the Dutch were like, well, I mean, they sell it in China. And the, the English were like, yes, but you see, um, we've run out of silver. We can no longer pay for our tea there. The Dutch were like, we think you have a problem. And England was like, oh, we don't have a problem. We can stop drinking the tea anytime we want to. But we don't want to do that. Because we're cheeky devils. So, what happened was the Dutch were like, well, there's this other thing you could sell in, in, in China that um, is somewhat popular in that region, and some people will pay for it with tea. 
And it turns out that it's also addictive. So it's like a fair trade, totally. So you could get opium from Afghanistan, which is a place you already own because you stuck a flag in it. And then (laughs) you can sell that opium from Afghanistan and sell it to the Chinese instead of your silver, which you've run out of because you've run out of countries with silver. And they will give you tea. And the English were like... Brilliant Dutch East India Company, we will do this thing. We will sell opium to the Chinese for tea. And they did, until the emperor got much less charming. And he said, you know the whole tea thing that you thought was so deleterious to your health? And now it would make you, like, sloth about and lounge around drinking cups of tea and doing nothing. Look, here in China, we apparently know how to drink tea. We do not lounge about doing nothing, drinking tea. We drink our tea, we get up, we write poetry, we conquer the world, we build large walls. We're busy people, and we're active, and now you're selling us opium, and suddenly we're much less busy because we're lounging about smoking opium. (laughs) So the emperor got less charming, and he told the English, no, I'm making opium illegal in China. You can't sell it here anymore. I've run out of people to build my wall, and it's very large, and I need a lot of people to build it. He was very vexed. He was vexed. And the English said, Oh, you thought you got to say no to a trade deal with us? Oh, no. We're England in the 19th century, and we don't take no for an answer to trade deals. Or anything. Or anything. No, I mean, they didn't even take fashion advice, really. (laughs) They were like red coats for uniforms in the field where it's all green. With a big white X, like right there? Right there. And like, we'll put feathers on the hats, too, because you'll never see us coming. (laughs) (laughs) What if we put shiny buttons on it, too, George? Do you think that will help us hide? Perfect. Right! Shiny buttons, big white cross, red chest, and feathers. Great camouflage. (laughs) In like a, you know, maybe in a lady's boudoir? (laughs) A a certain lady's boudoir. Right, but not in the fields of Afghanistan, certainly. So, So the English were like, we're selling you opium. And China was like, no, really, we made it illegal. And the English said, no. And the Chinese said, you don't get to tell us no. We do have a flag, and we have an emperor. And then the English were like, we have an empress. And her name is Victoria, and she is not amused. (laughs) (laughs) And so they started a war, because that's what you do. They fought with the Chinese, with their big ships, Mm -hmm. and they invaded. They took over Shanghai. And they continued to sell opium and buy tea. And the Chinese were, like, definitely vexed with that situation. Wouldn't you be? Well, I mean, yes, I would, actually. It doesn't seem very cricket to me. But, you know, Vicky, the queen, she did not come round to my house and ask me. I would have told her, best bet, pirates. Go in with pirates and smuggle tea. That's clearly much less vicious than opium. Don't you think? I do actually think opium. Or maybe the English could have sold... Chinese, no, the Chinese don't like mutton. No, they don't like mutton. In fact, very few people like mutton. And it's hard to sell enough mutton to make up for the quantity of tea that they were drinking in in England. And so, actually, the the war was rather expensive. And, you know, some people were like, maybe there's a more efficient way than, like, you know, starting a war every time we run out of tea. And some people in government were like, that's crazy talk. We love starting wars for commodities. That's what we do here. And so it turns out that the Scotsman came along, and he was a botanist, as you will, you know, if you're wearing a kilt and you're spending your time in the Highlands. There are a lot of plants to look at, and so... And a lot of plants to avoid. Right. Because you're in a kilt. Yeah, oh, and nettles. Nettles in a kilt. That's very bad. So this botanist... I believe his name was James Fortune. Isn't that a delightful name? Anyway, he thought to himself, India has a delightful climate for growing tea. 
I bet what would work really well is if we snuck into China and stole his tea plant and then snuck back out of China and planted it in India. Now, be much less war. But the thing is, it was illegal to, you know, abduct tea plants from China. <laughs> the emperor had some very serious ideas about this, which included death. Bad death. Bad death. <laughs> no one does death like the Chinese. Right. So it was like very emphatically death. In the way that only the Chinese emperor could come up with very creative. Bad death. Bad death. And so James Fortune snuck into China, as you do. Over tall mountains. Over the Himalayas with some Sherpas because... Uh, how else are you going to navigate the Himalayas? If you're from Scotland, you will get lost in Hopefully the Himalayas. With the Himalayas. Right, and your kilt may not be the right uh, garment for the Himalayas. In fact, that would be very cold on the knees. It would be chilly. It would. But he did. He snuck over the Himalayas and he snuck into China and he abducted a tea bush. And he put it in this glass dome. Like to protect it from right, the cold of the Himalayas. With a little dirt and some moisture. And then he wrapped it up and he put it in a backpack because it seems totally sensible when you're a Scotsman sneaking into China from the Himalayas. And then he snuck back out over the Himalayas with a glass jar with a tea bush in his backpack. Jolly good. Oh, no! He wasn't even wearing a red coat and brass buttons at and the you time. Know, well, it, it would take a Scotsman to do that. That's true. They are, ve I mean, I know, they're stubborn people. Because, I mean, there's some connections there for me. So, he snuck in to India from the Himalayas, and he's all like, ha ha, I've got this plant, I bet you've never seen this before. We're going to plant it and make so much money. Right, and of course the people there were like, never seen it before, and they drank their chai. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, right, we've never seen that plant before, no, looks like nothing around here, forget the stuff behind us. <laughs> Those bushes? What bushes? Those are... They're chai plants. That's right, chai. It's not the same word as in English. If it's not tea, it can't be the same thing, can it? Because we don't have etymology yet. So we're completely confused by the connection. No, no, totally different. And so even though there was Assam already growing wild and free in India, and Nilgiri also a local variety of tea growing wild in India, happily providing leaves for them to make their own chai. The English were like, oh, you don't have any tea here. We're inventing tea in India, and we are going to plant it in Darjeeling and call it Darjeeling. <laughs> it is my favorite tea, you cheeky monkey. Do you know why I like Darjeeling best in the universe? Because uh, was you replaced your blood with it or something? Well, I did replace my blood with it, which is really important because I should continue to drink the thing that is actually functioning as the lubricant that makes my body function. Did that make sense? No. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, it's my blood now. So, but the reason I chose Darjeeling is because it's the most illicit tea since it was kidnapped from China. So it has this rather colourful history. But the other thing is that Darjeeling actually has a splendid flavour. I mean, it is really good tea. It's black tea, it has a beautiful sort of rosy amber liquid. We should talk about the four flushes. Oh, the four flushes. There's the first flush when the Darjeeling is just young and fresh and it's got a more floral flavor and actually the tea will be you know less of a dark amber and more of a medium gold amber and sometimes when you make that tea and it's the first flush it's like is this Darjeeling it's like a totally different tea it smells different it tastes different it's still really good but that's the thing with tea is that it has four 
harvesting seasons. And so many of them have different flushes, as they're called. But with Darjeeling, it matters. They care. They quantify. And the flush you want is the second flush. That's the good stuff. <laughs> That's the champagne of the tea world right there. So, um, Darjeeling, yes, I think I went on a tangent into my own little, like, obsession with Darjeeling. But James Fortune smuggled in this, this tea and he planted it in Darjeeling. And now Darjeeling is the most widely used tea in the world in tea blends. So it's like in your Earl Grey and your English breakfast and all of these blends that they came up with in England because they were like... What is this Assam? That's not tea, it's chai. We're going to use Darjeeling and everything. Uh, eventually they did get let in on the joke, though. That there was, like, actually other tea in India, like, floating around. Like, they sent some more botanists who were like, Mr. Fortune, I know you, like, hiked over the Himalayas, and that was very nice, and, um... You, you know, risked your toes and, like, almost lost a knee, as you do in the Himalayas. But there was already tea here. And then Mr. Fortune was like, oh, bloody <laughs> teapots. <laughs> <laughs> as you do. So, but, um, yeah, so the Indian, uh, you know, continent became the primary producer of tea for the British Empire, which worked out very well for Britain because they'd already set the Dutch East India Company to India to take India for their very own. And they'd arrived with flags and claimed it and, and called it part of the British Empire, which was surprising to the people who lived there because they actually already had a government in place. And they were like, what do you mean? We belong to England now. How did that happen? We didn't sign a bill of sale or anything. And the English were like, oh, but you have all this tea and these other things that we like, and we really like your silk, which is very nice, but mostly we want you for your tea-growing abilities because we need tea in the empire. It's very important. It is very important. But, you know, so tea became, like, the most popular drink in the whole world. It is still the most popular beverage across the world of the earth and possibly in the universe. I mean, the Klingons have a tea ceremony. I didn't know if you all knew that. <laughs> the Klingons actually claimed to invent tea dueling. They did. And, you know, when a Klingon claims something... Just, you just let it go. I just agree. Because they have those batliths, and they get very cranky. And then, you know, exploding teapots are not your only worry. So, yes, tea is still the most popular beverage in the world. It's, it's grown in many places across Southeast Asia. And to be tea, properly tea, it comes from this particular bush and say it again for us darling is she still here thank you from that bush and so the differences in all of the varieties of tea are actually based on how the when the leaf is harvested how it's oxidized and smoked and dried and how they roll the leaves. So, you know, the tea leaves come in many delightful different shapes, which is very fun. If you're obsessive like I am, you can, like, check out the, you know, myriad assortment of, you know, rolled tea leaves. Is it long like a dragon's tongue, like oolong? Or is it rolled into pearls like gunpowder green? And they used to do it by hand, and really fine teas are still done by hand, which is why a pound of tea will cost you, you know, a year's wages. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, you only need like two ounces of tea to make a teapot with, full of tea that will go like seven steepings, so it kind of goes for a while if you're using loose-leaf tea. Right. 
If you're using the tea bags, we will scold you. That's probably true, although needs must sometimes. I mean, recently, Mistress Margie, I returned to academia. And I drank tea from tea bags. Like pre-bagged tea from tea bags. Every day. I know. You, know, you can actually get tea bags to put your loose leaf tea you in. You could do that thing. Yeah, but... No, I had Darjeeling by the bag. Don't you taste the paper? Yes! I tasted the shame. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, and the paper, but I had like all of these actual papers to, to, you know, compose. And my professors were very like stringent about actually turning them in. On time. Yes, in a timely fashion, and not just showing up and telling them, I ran out of Darjeeling, and my teapot needed, you know, like, to air itself out after all of its hard labor, so I couldn't write this paper on the etymology of tea today. And my professor was like, I don't, what? (laughs) (laughs) Almost exactly like that. A bit. So um, I had to turn to tea bags. So tea bags are certainly... A convenience factor. But the grade of tea in a tea bag is usually the lowest grade. In fact, it is not for leaves, typically. It's tea dust. Debris. Debris. Sweepings from the floor of the tea factory. Breakage. So much breakage. There's like they no yeah, one tea bags is like tea seconds. Yes, there's like no one likes seconds. No one rolling the tea leaves. They're just like scooping them into the tea bags, and they're like, don't tell them. Put it, put it in the box. If no one acknowledges it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, and yes, sometimes you can taste the paper depending on the quality of your bag. Um, and and these days in these modern times you have to watch your tea bags because some of them are treated with chemicals which may not be efficacious of course there's a long history of tea, treating tea with chemicals that may not be efficacious okay. so it'd be historically accurate to drink you know doctored tea in doctored tea bags i mean the english were fond of doctoring their tea the strange things But they're charming. I mean, I think so. Don't you think the English are charming for all the empire stealing and, you know, opium war ways? So cheeky. So, but yes, tea bags, you can have to resort to them, but I prefer the actual leaves. And it can be a little intimidating, but really it's very simple. Do not actually bring your water to a boil, and you're almost always fine. It's only with, like, the white tea or the yellow tea that you have to be really extra careful. And most of us do drink, like, green and black. Those are the most popular varieties with oolong as well. So white tea and yellow tea are a little bit more fringy and, you know, almost, like, saucy. Canadian popularity. Yes. Well, I mean, you like that one white tea you were talking about. Most of the time, white tea is far too floral for me. Um, But I encounter this amazing modern tea company called Lupricia. There's only four stores in the United States. One happens to be in Los Angeles at my favorite Japanese grocery store. Um, But they have tea tastings, and they have this uh, enormous variety of, of tea tins that you can open and smell so you can like decide the tea that you like. And I encountered um, this tea called a, it, it is a melon white tea. And uh, if you take a honeydew that's, that's perfectly ripe and nice and warm, because ice cold melon doesn't taste as much, so you have a honeydew that's nice and warm, and you <coughs> cut into it, and that, that, when, when that smell of summer hits you in the face, that's what this tea tastes like. So delightful and charming. And they have a strawberry chocolate puer that smells exactly like a strawberry dip chocolate. Oh, puer. 
My forbidden illicit love with Pu'er. I love it. Do you know who knows what Pu'er is? Right. Well, I see one hand. Let me tell you about Pu'er. Pu'er comes in bricks. It was actually developed for the Mongolians who wanted their tea as well. But it turns out that tea will go bad if you're riding around on a horse and like conquering places. <laughs> and so they were like, hmm, you know, it would be charming if we pack it into a brick and we'll just like stick it under the saddle and ride on it. And then when we're done, we'll have like this charming brick with horse sweat. And we'll, we'll chip away at it and we'll make horse sweat tea. Doesn't it sound grand? But the thing is, it like sort of fermented, yeah. and it took on this character that was earthy and rich in body. And then the Chinese were like, you know, we're not sure about the horse sweat part, but we can really like mimic some of those other qualities by packing the tea into bricks and fermenting it without horse sweat. <laughs> And so they started doing this thing, and Pu'er is considered to be, like, really a very fine tea in China. But depending on how it's packaged and when it's shipped, it can, it can when it's too young or not packaged the right way, have a kind of fishy odor. Or, or a little composty. Or, yeah, or, like, really musty, which I personally don't drink something that smells actually of mold. And that's not a good sign in your pu'er anyway. So, but the thing is, we in the United States used to have a tea board. And they got to decide all of the teas that were allowed into the United States. And it was like three gentlemen sitting around at a table drinking tea and going, yes, no, yes, oh, no. Yes, maybe. And so there was a lot of Lipton and a lot of no to Pu'er, which they were like, oh, it is musty. We can't bring that into the United States. No one will like it. And so until, like, the mid-90s, Pu'er was illegal in the United States. Right, illegal tea. Isn't that exciting? It's exciting. It's like your dosha I know, so it's why I like it. I like all the illegal teas. And so what happened was that, like, some of the Chinese groceries would, like, sort of smuggle it in for, you know, the Chinese population living in the United States who uh, were like, look, Right, yeah, they were like, Pu'er's the best. We're going to sneak it in and then we'll exchange it in back alleys and we'll get our Pu'er. And we won't tell that tea board. But then the tea board was like defunded and abolished and the last tea taster, you know, and the masters. Floodgates tea opened. The floodgates of tea opened. And in rushed Pu'er to the United States. And so now you can get it at fine tea houses and it comes in... And sometimes in large bricks, sometimes in these wheels, sometimes you can get in these little bricks that are called tuocha. And um, one small brick like that, it's like this thick and this round, will fill a whole teapot and you can get seven steepings out of that bad boy. It's really good, but it's very earthy tea. If it smells like molds, they did not package it properly. But that's not a problem with Pu'er. That's a problem with packaging. Yes. Right? So um, I'm a very keen, avid drinker of Pu'er when I'm not drinking Darjeeling, my favorite illicit tea. Does anyone have the time? I go time-free like a cheeky wretch. I have time already. 12.48. So we have a couple of minutes, and I've, you know, gabbed on as I do in my strange fashion. Do you have any questions about tea? Or any of the insanity that I just told you? <laughs> Which was mostly factual. Are you chafing your hat or raising your hands? Ho oh, hat, but you do have a nice beard. Thumbs up for that. Other hands. What about our tea, you know, knowledgeable tea parties back there? Gentle sir and delightful lady. What? Yeah, yes, you. Hello. Hi, how are you? Don't forget to come up. I have a present for you after. 
No, I, do you feel elucidated? Yes, dear sir. I was wondering about, uh, how do you feel about mixing chai with coffee? What kind of a monster are you? <laughs> I, I'm only throwing out a hypothetical. Well, I, I, I mean, I, really. I make a fudge with coffee and chai. What kind of a monster are you? Christmas <laughs> party! Chai! I mean, C word. Coffee. <sighs> no, I don't mix coffee with anything. I'm like, not pro coffee, but I mean, I suppose some people like that, you know, hint of spicy piquancy that comes with some clove and some cardamom. We'll cover up the flavour of that vile concoction called coffee. Yes, cheeky monkey. I have one. I, it's not really a question, more of a comment. Yes. I just want to say your hat is awesome. Oh, thank you. Love that. My little teacup on my head. <coughs> I knew it was a teacup. You are be- thank you, cheeky monkey. You are lovely. I will never, like, call you by anything else, you know. Yeah, I yeah. mean it in the most affectionate way. And, and, and I do have to say that that nomicure will spread, and soon no one will call you anything other than cheeky monkey. But they will mean it with love, because that's how we roll in the tea world. Yeah, thank you very much. Tea dueling? Teapot racing? Compliment dueling? Pu'er? Pu'er! Oh, I wish I'd brought some. But do you, do you drink real tea? Do you like black tea or green tea? But we still like you because you're still charming. And and to saints have their place in the universe. They do. But I don't know what I'd do without my caffeine. Any other questions? Yes, madam. Okay, I was wondering how you felt about the nickname cold tea. Cold tea? Cold brew tea. Oh, cold brew tea! I'm like, do you mean tea with ice? Because, you know, like... Summer, Phoenix? I know, it's summer in Phoenix, and sometimes you have to do what you have to do. (laughs) See, I even succumb to the iced tea. But no, cold brew is totally a reasonable way to make tea. Um, There's no reason not to. The, The thing is, you're just trying to impart the luxurious, decadent, and wonderful qualities of that most mighty leaf into your water. And since our water is generally not full of things that will kill us, although mine is questionable since the Black Widow did bring it to me. Um, You're not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. It's not only a flesh wound. So <laughs> That was last convention. I know, my heavens. I haven't hurt myself yet this convention. Boom. Boom. There's no high-fiving. No high-fiving, we've learned. So, um... As long as you're not in a place where the water needs to be boiled, go for it. It's just more time-consuming. The thing I like about, you know, heating my water and then throwing my tea leaves in it is I can have a teacup in three minutes with tea in it. Yeah, cold brew takes sometimes hours. Right. It's a long um, time for someone like but me. But you do, you do get different flavor profiles depending on the temperature of the water that you steep your leaves in. Um, so uh, some, the, like the white teas, mm. uh, need to be steeped at a much lower temperature than the black teas. Um, uh, but the, these are all like very nuanced. Okay. And um, for, not to sound snobbish, but for the vast majority of the people out there, it's not going to make a difference to them if they hot brew or cold brew their tea. But there are very subtle flavor mm. profile differences depending on the temperature of your water. Right, and it can be milder, which sometimes if you're, like, worried about, like, a heavy tannin flavor or, like... I mean, it's, it's more of a concern with coffee than tea, which has all that acid. And if you cold brew the coffee, then you will, like, avoid some of the acidness. Oh, Acidity. Yes, I know, but don't make me talk about the C word anymore. It was painful. I said a whole sentence with it three times. (laughs) Yes, madam. Oh, and those things I heard, but I do have a question. Yeah, well, Um, all right, there are two of you, so you and then you. Yes, go. You you first. Oh, okay. Um, What are your thoughts on southern sweet tea? Because I had a friend who, she came from England to live here with her husband, who she met in the military, and she was 
did she Even die? She's all like, yeah, that's great. And she oh, about, did she die? <laughs> she, I think she about murdered somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet tea um, and tea in the South also has a mm -hmm. long tradition. Um, there were and there are still a couple of plantations, tea plantations, in the southeastern United States, which has a similar, like, you know, um, geography and climate as the original area of tea. <coughs> and so, I mean, this culture has developed around sweet tea in the South. And if it's done well, and you're prepared for it, and you're not shocked, <laughs> then it can be glorious, especially if it's July in, you know, New Orleans, and you're surrounded by the swab, and you're like, please, for the love of Tesla, bring me something to make this heat stop. And they bring you a sweet tea in a sweating glass, and a side of beignets, then I say yes to that thing. But if you arrive suddenly from England and you're just like, oh, I'd like a cup of tea, and they show up with sweet tea and you're like, dear sweet baby Tesla, what have you done to me? <laughs> then, you know, it's like not the best, right? So it's situational, right? Madam with the beautiful, like, Well, that sounds like a good time. It, it was an excellent time. And um, that, that, I think, is, is the ultimate place to have tea. I know a lot of people think this boy is the place to open tea, but I think Port of Amazing, they've been open for over 300 years. Then say yes. And, uh, <laughs> um, they bring out, they bring out the, uh, the tea list, which is what, like 20 pages? Oh, goodness. Um, How do you ever make a decision? It is really, really hard. I had the second flush Darjeeling. I had second flush Darjeeling. It was sublime. He had uh, we had a tea that was uh, grown in uh, Cornwall. Oh. That was eighty pounds per eleven ounces. <laughs> well, I mean, they have to import the climate into Cornwall, <laughs> don't they? So. Yeah, and you, I can't remember which one you had. You had a really unusual one too. We just we just all kind of picked some crazy ones. I mean, I want the standard one because I knew I, mean, I was planning it for months. Which one am I going to have? Which charge, you know, which charge dealing. But uh, the whole first, half of the first floor, it's like several floors, it's, it's a very fine department store. Ooh. Uh, Fort Amnes uh, is known for their, their picnic campers. They are the original. Oh, campers. the picnic campers. Yes, those yes, I've heard that about. The, uh, the, that the tour would, would take to, uh, to uh, the park. But um, half of the first floor is all tea. Every type of tea. All those, you know, all those, they don't do tea bags. No, what? No, you don't but put second flush Darjeeling into a tea bag. Possibly imagine. So, if you get any of you get the chance to go to London, this is this is the tea mecca. You must just just partake. Make your pilgrimage, Fortnum yes. and Mason. Yes, I see your hands. Oh, Fortnum and Mason. Okay. All right. Yes. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed by this question, but uh, don't. I've tried to. Yes. Before, and I've tried it with both the kettle on the stove and with a tea maker, and I can't stop stop burning it. Oh right, <laughs> all right. Oh. It's a burnt taste to it. Yes. So did you say you put it in the kettle on the stove? No, no, I boiled the boiled it. No. <laughs> I, know that much. I was like, no, that's bad. So don't actually boil your water. That's if, if you do accidentally bring your water to a boil, let it rest. Yeah. So. You want to, like, if you don't have a thermometer, which most of us don't stick a thermometer in our tea water, um, then just listen. And just as the bubbles are starting to move in the water, stop the heating process. Because it's probably about the right temperature. Yeah, generally 180 to 190 degrees. Yeah, so before the 212 mark. Fahrenheit, not Celsius. <laughs> it's an important <laughs> distinction, it turns out. No one wants to melt their tea kettle, so <laughs> they're 
kitchen floor. Or oh, yeah, all the tea ware. Or the foundation. Don't put it in the pressure cooker. Yeah, so, and then just don't steep your tea for very long. Like two to three minutes is really most that you need to, to steep most teas. And it could get really tea snobbish. There are specific tea temperature and tea brewings for each individual tea. But, I mean, it's not really necessary to get that fussy to have no. a good cup. Unless you want to be that fussy. I mean, if you do want to be that fussy, join the crew. Like, we're very fussy. We wear fussy clothes. We make a lot of tea. We're kooky. But um, you can still have a good cup. Just don't bring your water to the full boil. It's the yeah. big thing. And a two-minute steep is, is generally, like, spot on. Um, I, I tend to, like, get all of my seven steepings all at once. Because I... Well, part of it is I have a drinking problem. I start <laughs> steeping my tea, and then I forget where my tea is. And then I wander off and do something, and it's like 30 minutes later, awesome, I have tea. You have tay. I have tay. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions, darlings? Yes, madam. Any thoughts on the proper accompaniments for tea? Oh, my heavens. I like tea, my na- I like my tea naked. <laughs> I mean, I, I generally, if it's, if it's Chinese tea... I don't put anything in my tea except maybe a smidge of sugar, and I only eat very light things with it um, because I don't want to overpower the subtle notes of the tea. With, when I'm doing English tea, I usually do a, a smidge of milk and just a spot of sugar, and then I'm a fiend, fiend for cucumber sandwiches. As far as I'm concerned, they go with everything in life. Oh, I broke my leg. Give me a cucumber sandwich. I'll feel much better. I mean, that's almost what I said that time with the exploding teapot and the radioactive spider. <laughs> you also did. That is a story. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. It, it is a story, and the Queen Mary was involved. It might be a story for our torrid tea. Oh, yes. Our torrid tales of tea, which is this but not yet. <laughs> so, and then... Um, With more anecdotes. More, more personal anecdotes about exploding teapots. And radioactive spiders. Yes. And ladies' boudoirs. So, any other questions? These have all been very good. Yes, madam. Um, what brands of tea do you recommend? Oh, oh, my gosh. Well, I have the good fortune to live in Tucson which has one of the best tea houses in the country in it. And um, that tea house, Seven Cups, is a principal importer of most Chinese tea into the United States. So honestly, I go there a lot. Um, but when I'm not able to get you know, my tea from them, uh, I will get Twining's Loose Leaf. It's totally good. Um, there is, uh, what starts with an H? Yes, um, they also make a nice, it's a nice loose leaf. Um, I will drink bagged Yorkshire gold. I'm not, I'm not too proud to say it. I'll do it, especially when I have a 30-page paper to write. It's due the next day. So, um, but yeah, I, I find Twinings is very, it's like very predictable tea. And so I'm going to be satisfied with it. And I don't have to worry that there's like, Maybe a recall because they've been in adulterating their Darjeeling to make, you know, the market, which happened a few years ago, for reals. So, uh, but we're about out of time, so one last question. No? Yes! All right. Well, I mean... I like whole milk because I'm only putting like a quarter of an ounce in there. But, and but not cream. No. <laughs> so the thing about cream is that it, when it hits your tea water, because there's so much fat, um, it may curdle. And it's the well, same. And it, and it globs in your tea. Yeah, it which is. Blend. It's gross. I don't like chewy tea. And. <laughs> <laughs> And also be careful with some of the creamers that come in the little plastics, um, the little tubs, because sometimes they work all right in your tea, and sometimes they do that globby thing, which is really sad. And all sad. of people are very, very bright, 
So I, but I feel I should say, do not put milk and lemon in your tea. Oh no. Do not do that thing. It's a very bad idea. And here's the thing, like lemon and tea can be delightful. Citrus and tea has a long history. But if somebody brings you tea with lemon in it without your getting to choose, it means they're covering up bad tea. Do not let them do this to you. They're hiding their inferior tea by like, oh, it's got lemon in it. You can't taste the bitterness. Go. Or the dirt. Or the dirt. That's terrible. So, um, you know, I like to taste the tea before I doctor it anyway. Sort of like checking before salting. So... Personal preference. All right, I would probably. Are we out of time? My freckles say we probably are. I have no. Clock. We are five minutes over. Oh, we're over. All right, Scamper. I hope there's not a panel waiting after us. So thank you all very much. I'll meet you outside with presents if I promise them to you. Thank you for inviting. You are so welcome. Thank you for coming to my panels. Hey guys, Jim here. Hope you enjoyed listening to Madame Askew talk about the actual, factual history of tea. And hey, hopefully we'll see you next year at Phoenix Comic Con. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.